This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Dunedin Multi-Ethnic Council On Air comes to you 6pm Tuesdays here on OR 105.4 FM and 1575 AM. Join Lux, Valerie and their special guests to hear the latest from the Dunedin Multi-Ethnic Council and celebrate unity through diversity. DMEC On Air, 6pm Tuesdays with podcasts available anytime from oar.org .nz, Google Podcasts and Apple Podcasts. Assalamu alaikum, namaste, wanakkam and hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of DMEC on air on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM all the way from Dunedin. DMEC, that's Dunedin Multi-Ethnic Council which celebrates and cherishes the diversities and inclusion in Autopoti, Dunedin. My name is Iram and I'm your host today for this special segment on DMEC on Air Chai and Chat, that is our women's group that provides women of all ethnicities a safe space and opportunity to create genuine friendships through sharing experiences and conversations. Today, I'm so excited to have one of our DM members from the group, Christine McLean-Nop. Hey, Christine, welcome to the show. Kia ora, Iram. So, how are you today? Good. <laughs> how are you? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Thanks for accepting my invitation. I'm so excited to have you as my guest on the show. Thank you. So, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Tell us about your whereabouts. Um, so my name's Kirstine McClay um, and I was born here in Dunedin um, and I was also educated here. I went to Otago Girls High School and Otago University and then after I got my master's degree I went to Japan and taught there for five years and then in Vietnam for three years wow. and I learned Japanese and Vietnamese when I was there. And then um, I had one year in London, in the UK, and then I came back to New Zealand. Mm, nice. <laughs> so, uh, what are you basically passionate about? Is it like uh, traveling around the world, meeting different people, or...? Yeah, and, and I guess, I suppose, without sounding too corny, world <laughs> peace and connecting people of different cultures. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. So, how did you come to know about this giant chat group? I can't remember exactly, but I think I saw it on social media. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had a friend, actually, she's from Egypt, and she suggested that we go together. Oh. But she only came to one session, oh. <laughs> and I ended up um, continuing. Yeah. So, so, did you find it interesting, and that is the reason why uh, you... Yes, yeah. Uh, no, it was. Um, I found it very refreshing, actually, because... With my experience living in lots of different cultures mm-hmm. and knowing people from lots of different cultures, I was missing that a bit, and it was really cool to connect with all these women from different backgrounds who had the same sort of experiences. Okay, so how would you describe the environment of the group? Like, is it warm, welcoming, or like? Yeah, definitely warm and welcoming and friendly. Good. And how would you like uh, describe your experience while you were live? As you said, like you lived in Japan for five years. So, what are the differences in the cul- in the Japanese culture and when you compare it with New Zealand? What do you find? Um, 
I think just just for me personally, because my experience obviously was as a foreigner going into Japan and Japanese culture, and I was not in Tokyo, Tokyo or any of the big cities, um, so I was very much the foreigner, the gaijin, as they say in Japan. Um, and it's quite a humbling experience, and I think it gives you an insight into what it's like for ethnic minorities or immigrants or former refugees who come to our country. Um, and there's, there's good things and bad things, of course, about yeah. that. Um, mostly the Japanese are very, very hospitable, and I was treated very well. But occasionally we'd come across one who didn't like oh. the foreigners being there or, yeah, yeah. so... Yeah, it's the yeah. same in every country. Yeah, it's, it's the same in every country. That's, that's true. Mm. And what about like language barrier? Did you find um, it very difficult or how did you manage yeah, it? Yeah, initially in the first year I found it very difficult. I think I didn't really have a concept of, you know, that I was going to be thrown into completely everything Japanese. Uh-huh. Again, perhaps if I'd been in a bigger city, there might have been more English speakers, but I was yeah. in a very small town. Um, there was just one teacher at my school who spoke English, and most oh. of the rest of the people didn't speak English. <laughs> oh. Which town were you in? Initially, I was in, um, well, near Ota, Ota City in Gunma Prefecture. Mm-hmm. And then, so I was there for three years, mm-hmm. and then I had two years in Takasaki, okay. which is, I think, the biggest city in Gunma Prefecture. But I was still kind of in the suburbs, like among the rice fields. Um, and you know, still quite rural compared to the bigger cities. So, uh, like, did you did you end up learning Japanese or? Yes, so I um, the position I was in, I kind of felt like I had to learn mm. Japanese to survive there. Yes, <laughs> Otherwise, I was dependent on Japanese friends who spoke English mm. or um, English speaking friends. Like some of them, I had one New Zealand friend who um, had done a degree in Japanese. So when she went to Japan, she was already very fluent in Japanese. Um, and I remember I did hang out with her mm-hmm. a lot in the first year <laughs> because it was convenient for me yes. and she could just translate anything yes. for me. And it was in the days before Google Translate. Oh, so, okay. yeah, I was always carrying the dictionary with me. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> but after, well, certainly after the first six months, I thought, no, I, I need to learn this mm. language for myself. For my independence. And yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> so, how many languages can you speak then? Like English, Japanese, and there are there any other languages do you speak? Um, so I also speak Vietnamese. Oh. Um, because I lived in Vietnam for three years. Oh, okay. Um, I I don't know that I'd say that I speak any of them well now. I'm quite rusty on Japanese and Vietnamese, but okay. I can still communicate. Okay. Um. And then I learned a little bit of French in Vietnam, just a tiny little bit, <laughs> because Vietnam used to be a colony of, of France. Yeah. Um, and and I had oh, just about three months in Belgium, mm-hmm. but then the French people say the Belgian French isn't real French, so that's <laughs> interesting. <laughs> but I, I, so I had some opportunity to try French, but I never, you know, I'm certainly not as mm-hmm. able in mm-hmm. French as in Japanese or Vietnamese. Oh, okay. And then um, when I came back to Aotearoa, New Zealand, I wanted to learn Te Reo Māori. Mm. So I've learned a bit of Te Reo Māori, but again, I'm, um, yeah, I would like to learn more. Yeah. I, I'm a bit ashamed of my level of Te Reo Māori as a Kiwi. I, I would like it to be better. Yeah, yeah. But, I, you know, I know some basics. <laughs> yes. I guess uh, you, you learned it in your school 
Yeah, we learned a bit in school when I was at school, and I won't say how old I am, but it's going back a while now. <laughs> um, we learned a lot of waiata, and but they didn't necessarily explain the meaning. I, I think they teach more of the language and better now than they did before. I think in the old days in New Zealand there was an idea that if you taught another language, mm. the kids were going to get confused oh. and that it's like going to affect the English. So they're not going to be good in English, which we now know is not true. You can learn mm. two languages side by yeah. side and be fluent in both of them. Yeah. Sometimes it leads to, like in the very young children, mm. sometimes it leads to a delay in them speaking. Yes, yes. But when they do speak, they mm. speak both languages very well. Yeah. So your stay in Vietnam as well as in Japan, was it due to your work commitments or? Yes, yes. So I um, I went on the JET program, which okay. is um, Japan Exchange Teaching Program. Right. Um, and they come around to the universities each year and talk about that and you can apply <laughs> then to go on that. So that was how I went to Japan. So um, you can do a maximum of three years mm-hmm. on that program, which I did. And then I applied for a private contract and got accepted for a job for two more years in okay. Japan. Oh, yeah. Good. And the same thing in Vietnam? Um, for Vietnam, I applied to a, it was called like a um, languages university, mm-hmm. but I was teaching in the attached senior high school. Mm-hmm. And so again, I applied for the job. Um, I had gotten interested in Vietnam because I met a lot of former refugees from Vietnam who oh. were living in Japan. Okay. And one of them started teaching me Vietnamese mm-hmm. because she wanted to learn English. Ah. But we communicated by Japanese because I didn't speak oh. Vietnamese and she oh. didn't speak English. So yes. then we exchanged and taught each other our own languages. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so she learned some English and I learned some Vietnamese. Um, and that, that was good preparation before going to Vietnam. Mm. Yeah, mm. yeah, of course. And what about your stay in London? You said you... Um, so that was just about a year, and I was actually working for the Japanese in oh. London um, because in, in the Japanese um, high school mm-hmm. in London, mm-hmm. and they wanted someone who was a native speaker of English who also knew Japanese. Oh. And so that was like, because when I went to the UK, um, I'm not entitled to, um, I think they used to have visas for New Zealanders who had mm-hmm. grandparents from the UK or something. Okay. But that's a long time ago. Mm. But... Um, I think that's actually changed anyway, mm. but even at that time I wasn't entitled to that visa <laughs> because all my grandparents were born in Australia and New Zealand. I see. Um, so in order to stay, I had to get a full-time job, right. and I thought, okay, I'll try, and if I don't, I'll go back to New Zealand, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but then I got the job. Okay, good. Yeah. So which year did you come back to New Zealand around? Um, so being the end of... Oh, no, the end of 2003. Oh, okay. So did you find any changes or what did you uh, like? Um, I think culturally it took me quite a bit to adapt back to New Zealand because I had lived in very different cultures Mm. for a long time. Um, And, yeah, when I went to England, I thought, oh, it's an English-speaking country. Mm -hmm. I'll adapt. And I think I expected it to be... um, easier uh-huh. than when I was in Japan and Vietnam because it was culturally closer yeah. to New Zealand. Yeah. But actually, I found it really, really different. <laughs> and re- and it was kind of strange because people were speaking English, but it wasn't my 
dialect of English yes, and yes. Um, I was in an English speaking environment but I didn't have like my family oh, yes. um, yeah, so I actually found it quite hard mm-hmm. in the UK <laughs> I think because also in Asia people are very kind if they see you have a foreign face oh, okay. yeah. they make allowances for you and help mm-hmm. you if you don't speak the language perfectly mm-hmm. whereas in England they're probably just like oh another um, what's the word Colonial Australian <laughs> or New Zealander, yeah, has uh, <laughs> come here to look around. <laughs> maybe it was it was it uh, because of the difference in accents, because of Kiwi accent and of yeah. Well, they accent. know as soon as they hear us yeah, speak yeah, that yeah, we're not British, so yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But it was interesting on the tube because I used to take the tube to work in London. Mm-hmm. Um, if I met any South Africans, like sometimes I would think they were Kiwi mm. or they would ask me oh. if I was South African because the accent's a little bit the same. Ah. But then if you keep talking to them after a while, you yeah. realise they're yeah, South African yeah. or they realise yeah, I'm yeah. Kiwi. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So when, when you found this uh, Chai and Chad group, so you were you able to relate your ex, your past experiences with uh, the ladies who come? Yes, yeah, absolutely. It was good. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> so would you like to recommend... Chai and Chad group to your female friends? Yes, and I think it's not only for people who have travelled, like myself, mm-hmm. um, or who speak different languages, but in general, if you're interested in the world and interested in people, it's it's a really great group. Um, I think particularly in these days of COVID, mm. you know, we can't travel like mm. we used to be able to. And so, again, if you're interested in forming international connections in a different way, mm-hmm. that's a good option. Okay. Mm. And and you form a lot of really good friendships too. Yeah. Yes, yes. So, like, did you find any friends through this group? I mean, yeah, okay. absolutely. Of course, and you of course, and yeah, <laughs> good friends. And so. um, yeah, I would say I would regard all the ladies there as friends now. Yes, yes, um, yes. especially the ones that come regularly. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Are, is there any any other organisations you are associated with, or any other work you are doing at the moment in the community? Um, so two friends and I have started a charity organisation called Starfish, mm-hmm. the Starfish Collective, right. um, and that's about assisting some refugee families to resettle in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. good. So are you doing some fundraising? Yes, so we've done right? so far we've done two fundraising events. Um, it costs about five thousand New Zealand dollars per family that you bring in we have received um sponsorship from a sponsor who wishes to remain anonymous um for for some of it and then we thought you know in good faith we need to raise some money ourselves so we had one fair at knox church and that was quite successful and then we just had another one at my house which Mm -hmm. was we called the halloween night market because i always decorate my house for halloween and then people came and and lots of um, the Syrian ladies made their food, which is really yummy, and um, sold it. And then other friends made some kiwi food and other. <laughs> yeah. So we had a range of, of food and books and toys for sale. So, so did, were you were you guys able to uh, raise uh, how many, like how much money? Was it like? Okay. So that one was only across three hours, but we raised oh. five hundred dollars. So, okay, so we were quite pleased about yeah. that because it was a short time. Of course. Um, the Knox Church one, I think it was about nine hundred dollars. Oh, yeah, that's good. Yeah. yeah. So we've, and then we've um, got a give a little page, mm-hmm. which is called um, 
help, uh, I can't remember the wording exactly, help a refugee family to settle in Aotearoa, New Zealand, um, and through private donations. So we've raised about 3500 with a goal of 5000 because we thought each 5000 is one family. So, okay. yeah. Okay. What, what is your feedback for the Chine Chat group? And uh, like, what? How would you like to, or, or better, I would ask, like, what changes would you like to suggest to the group? If uh... um, I can't think of any any changes, yeah. um, like anything to improve the group, or I, I have wondered sometimes about the day being Tuesday. I suppose you never yeah. can choose a day that suits everybody. But just because I know a lot of like women of refugee backgrounds, they're learning English, right. and most of the classes are on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Okay. And I know that for some of them, like um, Friday is quite a good day. For example, because their husbands go to the mosque, mm-hmm. and then they come, they can come into town, and um, if they have another group or something oh, okay, to go to, okay. yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Because at the moment, Chine Chat is running from. 11.30 a.m. to 1.30 p.m. on every Tuesdays, lunchtime. So so you mean like if it is if it is on Friday afternoon? Then there may be more women who can come. There might be more women coming. Okay. And any, anything else you would like to add here? Um, no, but, yeah, I can't recommend yeah. Chai and Chat highly enough, really. Yeah. Um, okay. For me, it's been really, really good for me this year because... I feel more connected yes, to other yes, people yes. with similar experiences. Mm. Mm. And especially like in when we are stuck in this COVID situation yes. and with these alert levels. So, so yeah, it's good like if we can move around a little bit and, you know, talk to people. And But as we know that Auckland is still in lockdown. Yes. And people yes. there are, they are really suffering, like in, not suffering, but like it's it's for their own good, but still. They're getting sick of yeah, it. Yeah, my yeah, brother is in oh, Auckland with his okay. partner, and I think they've had enough of lockdown, but they just ah, have to do what they're told. But yeah. I heard that um, because, like, my family's wondering if my brother can visit for Christmas. Okay. I think that they may be able to leave mm-hmm. Auckland if they are double vaccinated. Oh, yes. Yeah. Because I think the government is also working towards it to ease out travel restrictions before Christmas. Yes, yes. yes. And I think um, the same thing may be true of Australia. My father's in Melbourne. I so see. I haven't seen him for four years now because oh. of COVID. It's like oh. every time he's going to plan a trip, there's another lockdown yeah. Yeah. Or, or something happened on the Australian side or on the New Zealand side. Oh. Um, but I think that might be what they're looking towards, you know, again, opening a bubble with Australia, but yes. this time only allowing the people to go who have been double vaccinated. Okay. And I, I heard that there there there's going to be like quarantine-free travel between Australia and New Zealand? I think if the passengers concerned are double vaccinated, I think that's oh. the that will allow them to be quarantined. I think a lot of stuff in the future is going to dep- depend on whether you're Vaccin- uh, yeah, vaccinated or not. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. And I know my husband's running into this problem at his work. He's a teacher at high school. Um, and yeah, they are faced with um, the situation where some there are a few, I think they're in the minority, but a few mm. teachers who don't want to be oh, vaccinated, yes, and, yeah. and those teachers may lose their jobs. Yes, over yes. No, that. Yeah, I was yeah. reading the news another other day on Otago Daily Times, and it said that no job, no no jab, no job. Oh, yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. yeah. My husband's job is to do like the timetable for the school. Yes, 
And so he's got to consider which teachers are going to be there for the following year and ask the principal, like, what is your policy? Are you going to do the no jab, no job? Or is it enforced by the government? And then they have to tell those teachers. I think the deadline is until November or something. Right. Yeah. Oh, yes, I think he's in next week. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) yes, yes, because I read somewhere, like, the deadline is till November and then the schools and the high schools, like, they would have to decide how many teachers are going to remain or yeah or like, the ones who are not yes, jabbed may yes, have to they leave. might have to leave yeah mm. that's that's a little bit yeah concerning but but yeah as it is it is good for all of us that if we get vaccinated and uh, yes i would encourage everyone to be vaccinated i understand yes. the distrust of of vaccination but i think if we look in history and see the amount of lives that have been saved mm. by vaccination in the past. Exactly. Yeah, it's um, yes. definitely yes. better to be vaccinated. <laughs> yeah, whether it be, it's, be it polio or flu or oh, like yes. influenza, yeah. So, so yeah, that's true. Any any other message, Christine, you would like to give to the community or you would like, um, like to say to people out there? Well, to all the women, please come and join us at Chai and Chat. Um, we're a friendly group and we'd love to see you, um, whether you're Kiwi or an immigrant or a former refugee or whatever your background. Yes. Um, English is not um, compulsory. Um, we try to speak slowly enough that everyone <laughs> gets a go and um, can follow us. And, um, yeah. Yeah, because my my personal experience being associated with this group is like yes, I would also recommend every, every like all my female friends because everybody has an ethnicity. So whether, yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So whether you are a Kiwi or you are a non-Kiwi, that that doesn't matter. Just come along and join us. Well, this is Iram signing off, and thank you so much, Christine, for coming here and talking to us. And if you want to know more about the group or if you want to make new friends, just drop in next Tuesday at 11.30 a.m. and explore yourself. By the way, there are free snacks, refreshments and drinks available. Although it's alert level 2, so we are maintaining, we are try, like, trying to maintain all the rules and restrictions. They are at place. Stay that safe. good food. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Stay safe. Get vaccinated if you haven't yet. Be kind and take care. Bye. Dunedin Multi-Ethnic Council on Air comes to you 6pm Tuesdays here on OR 105.4 FM and 1575 AM. Join Lux, Valerie and their special guests to hear the latest from the Dunedin Multi-Ethnic Council and celebrate unity through diversity. DMEC on Air, 6pm Tuesdays with podcasts available anytime from oar.org.nz, Google Podcasts and Apple Podcasts. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.